Well, before we actually dive in, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you who listen. We have just passed the 10,000 download mark for this podcast, and I just want to say I am so honored and so privileged to be able to do this. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me along this journey, and thank you for pursuing Jesus Christ alongside me. Welcome to the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's Word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and this is episode number 18. Today is part one of a two-part series listening to one of my all-time favorite sermons. Let's dive in. As I've mentioned in a previous episode, about a decade ago, I had the incredible opportunity to travel with Dr. Stephen Manley, an itinerant evangelist. Now, at that same time, he was preaching through a series in Acts chapter 1. Now, in that time period, there was a particular sermon that had a really profound impact on my life. In fact, it has become one of my all-time favorite sermons given by anybody. Now, the sermon is called The Unasked Question. But I've lovingly referred to it as the blue sermon, which will make sense toward the end. Now, what I'd like to do today is listen to the first half of the sermon. And then in the next episode next week, we're going to listen to the second half. So join me listening to Dr. Stephen Manley in his sermon, The Unasked Question, taken from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, I would encourage you to grab your Bible and have it open because he's going to be diving deep into the passage and it'd be great to have it in front of you. Here we go. Acts chapter 1, we want to go back there tonight and uh, want to look again at uh, verse 7 and 8, and especially at verse 8 tonight, we'd like to get into the uh, content of verse 8 and actually look at the words themselves. And again, we're going to begin reading at verse 4. You'll remember the context of this whole scene is the resurrection appearances of Jesus. He has, of course, been uh, with them for 40 days, according to verse 3, and he's been spending all of his time talking to them about uh, the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, as it's stated at the end of verse 3. He's given them infallible proofs of his resurrection, 40 days of it. That'd be a phenomenal experience, wouldn't it? Then he gathers them together for the last time. It's the, probably the 40th day, and he's going to have a conversation with them. And as he begins to speak to them, you'll note he says these things in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Reading verse 8 again. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Phenomenal verse, isn't it? I have no idea or no way uh, to tell you the significance of verse 8. It's like uh, it's in neon flashing sign. It's like uh, it's kind of the thing you put on a plaque and put in the hallway or the foyer of the church. It's kind of a mission statement of the entirety of the book of Acts. Uh, it's underscored. 
In fact, any Bible commentary you want to go to will tell you that verse 8 is the table of contents of the entirety of the book of Acts. That if you want to know what the index is, you want to know what he's going to write about, it's the summary statement, it's the content, table of contents, for he's going to take what he's saying in verse 8 and he's going to spill it through the rest of the book and it forms the sections of the book as he begins to write. It is an overwhelming verse. He literally has reached into uh, the whole book of Acts and shrunk it down to one entire dynamic overwhelming statement. See, verse 8 becomes the lens through which you see the entirety of the rest of the book of Acts. See, if you don't understand verse 8, you'll misinterpret the book of Acts. If you get what verse 8 is all about, if you see the concept, if you understand what he's saying in verse 8, hey, the whole rest of the book just begins to flow. It all comes together. See, you never could get off on church growth strategies. You never could get off on, oh, we'll have house churches because that's the way they did it in the early days. See, you'd never get off on that if you understood verse 8 because he's not writing about church growth strategies. He's writing about the dynamic of the moving of the Spirit of God himself. And the whole concept of verse 8 becomes really, really important to us. In fact, you understand that legalism never could have survived, man. It would have died if we'd understood verse 8. It would never have started if we'd understood verse 8. See, verse 8 is the key. Somehow he's reached out and grabbed a hold of everything that's going on in the book of Acts, and he's just, he just boiled it down. It's a magnification of everything he wants to say. How can I explain it to you? You get out of the store, you know, and you buy this uh, orange juice stuff or grape, ju uh, grape uh, stuff. It's, it's in the concentrate. It's frozen. It's in the concentrated form. Hey, you don't drink that, man. You put water with it. Hey, he's going to add the water, son. Verse 8 is the frozen stuff, brother. Verse 8 is the concentrated. Verse 8 is what you got to get into. When you get into verse 8, whoa, you get the real flavor of what he's going to tell you in the whole rest of the book, and it just begins to unfold. The concept. We talked about it last night. What's the concept? Oh, that's easy. The concept is simply a shift from the disciples and what they're going to do to, whoa, God is acting. It's a shift from their talent, their ability, well, aren't they something, to, whoa, isn't God something? Look what he's doing. It's a shift from their ability to his ability, from their talent to the divine action of the talent of God himself. See, it's a shift from trying, struggling, well, come on, over to, whoa, turn loose, is it God? Wow, this is beyond us. See, it's a shift from uh, attempting, sweating it out, kick it a couple times, whip up an old crowd, man. Give them a new challenge to, whoa, look what's happening. It's, it's, it's effortless. Don't you like that word? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have a Christianity that's just, Effortless. How you doing today? Oh, effortless. <laughs> Relaxed. Yeah, just effortless. See, that's all altogether different than straining, trying, struggling. Well, I'm hanging on. Well, I hope I make it. Well, I, I pray that I'll make it to the bitter end. I hope it comes quick. <laughs> See, it's, it's, a, it's a shift from that to, whoa, hang on because God is moving. God is acting. And it isn't about me anyhow. It's about him and what he's doing and the dynamic of all that he is. See, you see that everywhere in the book. Do you realize that in this book, the disciples are not told to go? Well, did they go? Oh, brother, did they go. They went everywhere and in 70 years won their whole world. But they weren't told to go. Well, what happened? They were told to wait. Wait. 
And in waiting, they went. How do you figure that out? Because when you wait, you go. Well, you can't do that. If you wait, you wait, you go, you go. No, if you wait, you go. In going, you don't go, you wait. See, the whole thing is backwards. It's the backwards kingdom, isn't it? Because you see, in waiting, somehow, something begins to happen to you inside where you just can't help yourself. And you just have to go. And you have to win your world. And it begins to burn within you. And you can't keep from doing it. See, that's the emphasis. Do you know in this book they weren't told to, well, develop good sermons. Hey, go to a seminar on speaking. Hey, develop your communication skills. They weren't told that. Well, didn't they preach? Oh, brother, did they preach, man. Peter preached a sermon, 3,000 got saved. Woo, what a sermon. Hey, boy, did they preach. But see, they weren't told to preach. They just, in fact, did you know they spoke in languages they didn't even know? How'd they do that? See him? And in 70 years, they had communicated the gospel to the entirety of the world until Christianity became the world religion. How do you explain that? That's the concept of the book. See, they weren't told to do. Oh, didn't they do? Whoa, did they do. They were active, man. They were into everything and every place and everybody. I mean, they were all over the place, but they weren't told to do. See, nobody told them, now organize, get a 501c3 so you can get a tax break. Hey, develop a good parking lot. That always helps. See, they weren't told that, but didn't they do that? Yes, they did that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just that, it's just kind of, it just, well, that was just, that wasn't their focus. It was, well, they did that, but that wasn't, uh, somehow it was him and it just all began to, the concept it's verse 8 wow what a verse now you'll remember the whole thing spills out of verse 6 the question is Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel now, you remember the, f the focus of the question is on when and now, and Jesus then gives the answer. In verse 7, he begins with, hey, when and now is none of your business. And then verse 8 begins with, but, and verse 8 is, this is your business. See, verse 7 is not your business. Verse 8 is your business. Get your nose out of verse 7. Get your nose into verse 8. Hey, don't spend any time on when and now in verse 7. Spend all your time in verse 8. See, pack your bags, brother, move out of verse 7, and camp. I mean, literally move in. Let your whole weight down on verse 8, because verse 8 is where you are to live, not verse 7. Verse 8. We want to spend some time tonight analyzing the words of verse 8. Now, you'll notice, this is really exciting, you'll notice there is a, two parallel statements. Did you notice? Verse 8. But you shall receive power. You shall be witnesses. Parallel statements. Got it? You shall receive power. You shall be witnesses. Hey, the whole verse hangs on those two parallel statements. Everything revolves around that. You shall receive power. You shall be witnesses. And did you notice that sandwiched between those two parallel statements, there's this overwhelming statement that says, 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So everything in the, rever in the verse revolves around, you shall receive power, you shall be witnesses, revolves around this when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Everything flows out of that. That's the center point of the two statements. Wow. Let's look at those three statements. Number one, you shall receive power. Now, we went over this last night, but I want to remind you again that Luke, I don't know if this upsets some of you or not, but Luke didn't write the words you're looking at. Those are English words. He didn't know English. He wrote in Greek. So when you look at the original language of the Bible, you shall receive is one word, one Greek word, not three, one Greek word. And guess what it is? Future indicative. Whoa, this is exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Future indicative. You know what the indicative means? Simple statement of fact. Hey, not going to argue with you. Hey, this is not up for debate. Put your hand down. We're not going to vote on this at district assembly. This is not up for grabs. This is not under discussion. I'm telling you straight up. This is a statement of assurance. You can count on this. You can go to the bank on this, son. This is absolute certainty. Hey, let your whole weight down on this one. You shall receive simple statement of fact. It's the way it is. Jesus is speaking. You shall receive. Now, we should have already known that. The reason is because he's already framed this statement. He's already talked about this statement in terms of, well, I'll go back to verse 4. Promise of the Father. Do you see it there? But wait for the promise of the Father. Then as he begins to develop the idea of the promise of the Father, he explains it in verse 5 in terms of John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's baptized with the Holy Spirit? Promise of the Father. Now he goes on and explains it further. You shall receive power, which all relates back to promise of the Father. Now, this is really exciting because there are two different Greek words in the New Testament that we translate into the English word promise. Obviously, the one that's used in verse 4 is one of those words, but there's another one. Let me talk about the other one. You remember when uh, Herod Antipas, yeah, he had this wild party. You read about it. He had this wild party and they lounged when they ate in that day, which I think is really a neat idea. But they lounged when they ate, and they were about half drunk, which wasn't a good idea, of course. But they were about half drunk, and uh, all the dignitaries were there from all the other nations, you know, and Herod had thrown this big wing ding. And as they were all lounging there, and about half drunk, uh, Herod leaned up, and uh, he called for his wife, who wasn't really his wife, but was his mistress, was really his brother's wife, which is how John the Baptist got into trouble, because he'd preached on that kind of thing. You remember all that. And she had a daughter, teenage daughter, and Herod Antipas leaned up and said, Hey, send your teenage daughter out here and let her dance for us. And if she pleases us, I promise to give up half of my kingdom to her. Promise. Now that word that's used there is different than this word here. Not the same. See, you look at it in the English. Oh, promise of Herod, 
promise of God. No, these are two different deals going on here, folks. Let me tell you about this Herod promise thing. Herod's promise is, oh, then she came here, remember, and said, what I want is, I don't want half your kingdom. What I want is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Herod, oh, he turns green and says, oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, why did I make that promise? Oh, everybody's looking at me. Oh, peer pressure. Oh, I guess I'll have to. Oh, I don't want to. Oh, this is awful. This will keep me up several nights. And he he begrudgingly, he didn't, he, he had to, he didn't, well, I guess I promised. See, that's that word. But see, this word that's used here, promise of the Father, you know what this word means? Oh, this word means, I want to. See, this promise of the Father is, I can hardly wait to do this. This promise of the Father is, I'm, I'm strategizing, I'm manipulating, I'm planning, I'm counting, I'm aching, I'm longing, because I really, really want to do this. See, this is not, oh man, no, this is, whoa! See, this is, oh brother, won't he ever quit? This is, whoopee! Catching on? See, this promise of the Father is, I want to do this for you. This promise of the Father is, I can long, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. I'm just anxious for the very moment I can get this done in your life. This promise of the Father. See, I'm convinced that people don't get saved at altars. They get saved the minute they step out of their pew because God can't wait. <laughs> See, he longs to give us victory. He wants you to be all you can be. He wants everything he dreamed for you. He wants to pour it. See, God's not teasing us. God's not dangling carrots in front of our nose. God's not, this is not hide and seek, folks. We're not playing some kind of a game. See, God is anxious. God's heart is wide open. God longs to make you victorious. God wants your family to be whole. God longs for you to be adequate. God wants all the strength of his presence to roar through you. God wants you to march in your day with your head high. God wants you to walk in victory. God wants you to be what you ought to be. God died for, God died for that. God See, he's anxious. He's longing. Hey, if you open the door one inch, man, he's going to jam his foot in it. You can count on it. Hey, you give him half a chance, he'll make a saint out of you. If you just barely open to him, he's going to be all over you. He desires. Promise. So you're not surprised when he comes and says, statement of fact, man. Hey, you don't need to worry about this. You don't need to worry. He will, he won't, he will, he won't. You don't need to worry that. He will! You shall receive. You can count on it. You can go to the bank on it. I'm telling you. Wow. You shall receive power. Now again, we're into this framework thing. That is the way you think. See, when I say power, you have a way that you think about power. You have a, you have a, a context. You have, you have thoughts. See, we think in our world, oh, power. Oh, he knows the general superintendents. Oh, power. <laughs> it's a bad example. Uh, power. Uh, you know, there's power. There's all this power. Uh, so we think in those terms. Now, you're going to have to get out of that because when you come biblically to the book of Acts, the idea of power is altogether different. In fact, here's what's so startling. As you come to the book of Acts and you begin to walk through this, you know what you discover? Power and the Spirit of Jesus are the same. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, they're the same. 
In fact, go through the book of Acts. Every place you see Holy Spirit, strike it out and put power there. It works. Every place you see power, strike it out. Put Holy Spirit there. It works. Because Jesus and the Holy Jesus and, and power, Spirit of Jesus and power are equated. They're equal. They're, they're interchangeable terms. So when we're talking about power, we're talking about Jesus and the fullness of the presence of Jesus living within you and dynamically flowing through you. So they're equated. So literally he's saying, you shall receive the fullness of the Spirit of Jesus. Don't you think it's interesting that the disciples, when the Holy Spirit came to live in them, didn't say, whoa, this is a new person. Who's this? We'll have to get acquainted. It was like when the Holy Spirit came and lived within them, they said, whoa, I know you. And they didn't see any difference between the Jesus they'd walked with for three years and the Jesus that had now come to live within them. Except that one place he was out, the other place he's in. But it was the same person. And it was like they'd known him all this time. Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And they're equated. It's phenomenal truth. You know that the word power here is where we get our English word dynamite. You've heard that. Preachers say that all the time. It's where we get our English word dynamite from this Greek word. And it, it, by nature, this word, you shall receive power. By nature, it, it's explosive in its nature. It's, it's, it's measurable. I think it's really fantastic because in the gospel writers, in the, in the gospels as they wrote, they, they took this word in reference to Jesus and translated it, mighty deeds. I love that. Jesus came into town and did mighty deeds. <laughs> yeah, I shook the place up. Yeah, we talked about it in a prayer meeting. Jesus comes into town, what does he do? Man, he stomps into a cemetery, two men filled with demons. Hey, hey, he cleanses those legions. Hey, you're out of here, man. If they go into pigs, pigs run down the aisle, run down the, down the aisle and run into the, in, in, into the lake and, and they drown themselves in the sea and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're dead. 2,000, there was 2,000, 2,000 pigs floating. Whoa, kind of hard to, hard to cover that up. 2,000, isn't it interesting that pigs can't tolerate what people will put up with? 2,000 pigs couldn't stand it, drowned themselves. Can you imagine how the town folks felt? I mean, Jesus comes and holds one meeting. Only got two converts. Cost us 2,000. I mean, our entire budget for the year wiped out. <laughs> He exploded the place. Why couldn't Jesus just come in and preach like normal preachers and just kind of, you know, and we could yawn our way through and say, oh, good services. Why does he have to come in and shake the place up? Why does he have to do it? Because see, it's what he is. It's who he is. It's, it's power. It's, you can't stop him. You see, when he comes, it's explosive in nature. When he comes, it, it disrupts. When he comes, it upsets. When he comes, there, there's disturbance. When he comes, he, he messes things up. When he comes, it's, it's no longer routine. When he comes, it's no longer traditional. When he comes, he, he. You sure you want him to come here? <laughs> I mean, he's going to make some folks mad. Do you realize that when 
Yeah, you go, down, you go down to Bethlehem, man. Go down to Bethlehem in the surrounding districts. And moms and dads are wailing at the top of their lungs. Why? Two-year-old boys and younger have just been slaughtered. Roman soldiers came in, grabbed a hold of them by the heel, threw them against the wall. Why did that happen? Jesus has been born. See, if you're looking for the Holy Spirit to come, if you're looking for the Spirit of Jesus to come, everything smooths out. No, it's... See, I thought Jesus would come and peace, joy, tickles up and down my spine, shorter nose. I thought, whoa, this is it. <laughs> Didn't happen. Upset, trouble, disturbance, messes up my life. Change. You ready for that? You shall receive power. Now, it's really interesting. When you go to the Greek uh, dictionary, which is a lexicon, and, and you look up this word power, every one of them says the same thing. Doesn't matter which one you look up. They all say the same thing. They say that this word, this particular word that's used right here, is inherent, an inherent power, residing within a thing by virtue of its nature. Let me give that to you again. They say that this word that's used right here is an inherent power. And it resides within a thing by virtue of its nature. Now, how can I explain that to you? See, this power is not something you have. This that power is not an instrument you get. This power is not something that's attached. This is not, this power is not like, I got a gun in my hand. I got the power. See, I can make you do anything I want you to do. I can put you on your face. I can take your money, man. I can make you stand on your head. I got the power. Oh, no. Somebody took away my gun. I lost my power. That's not this word. See, he's not talking about, oh, God is going to give you a gun in your hand and you're going to have this amazing. I wish it was that way. See, if the power of God was a gun in my hand, see, I could pick it up when I come to church, bring it to church, and I could zap who I want to zap. Heal who I want to heal. I could use it. I could charge you 150 bucks per touch. Because I got the... But see, what he's talking about is not something you get something that gets you not something you possess something that begins to possess you not something that you can master and control something that comes and masters and controls you and what is it it's him hey it's him and you don't dictate to him he comes and dictates to you and it becomes a part of the very inner nature of your being until it so possesses you that you're under the control and you're being used by this power My favorite color is blue, by the way. You got this bowl. In this bowl is blue dye. 
blue dye. Here's a colorless cloth. Yeah, colorless cloth. You take this colorless cloth and you submerge it into the blue dye. In fact, you poke it down. Hey, you let it soak. Just leave it for a while. It soaks. It's there. Hey, it's just, it's just in the blue dye, you know. It's, in fact, you can't even see it now. And then you reach down and you, and you stir it up a little. And, and then you grab a hold of this cloth, this colorless cloth. It's been in the blue dye. You reach down. You, pull, you grab a hold of the edges of it. You pull it up and whoa, this cloth is blue. In fact, it's dripping blue. Now, you correct me, of course, and say, no, no, the cloth is not blue. The cloth is colorless. It's the dye that's blue. I say, no, you're wrong. This cloth is blue. You say, no, you're not getting this. The cloth is not blue. The cloth is colorless. It's the dye that's blue. And I'll look you right in the eye and say, you just try to take the blue out of this cloth. <laughs> because you see, something has happened. See, the blue dye has so intertwined itself into the fibers of the being of the cloth. The, the, blue, the blue dye has gone so deep. The blue dye has just so become so interchangeable. The blue dye has just gotten all messed up. The blue dye has just so penetrated. The blue dye has just gotten so... It just This cloth is blue. You can't get it out of there. Well, the cloth is not blue. Yes, it is blue. Well, not exactly blue. It was the dye that was blue, but the cloth is now blue because... Well, the, 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 the cloth doesn't have the blue dye. The blue dye has the cloth. Can you imagine? God picks me up by my ears and submerges me. Wow. Into the blue dye of his presence. <laughs> Leaves me. Just stand there, boy. Leaves me in there for a while. And then he comes along, picks me up by the ears. and Whoa, this boy is blue. He's blue all over. Well, I'm trying to be blue. No, 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 no. You don't try to be blue. You're just blue, man. In fact, everywhere you walk. Whoa, a little blue left there. Hey, I grab your hold of your hand and say, sorry for the blue. <laughs> yeah. Hey, rub against him. Whoa, blue all over you, man. Everywhere he goes, there's blue, man. He's just blue, blue, blue. He gets up blue. He goes to bed blue he thinks blue he is blue no he's not blue it's the blue that's within him and the blue is literally wouldn't it be something to be possessed that's what he's talking about you shall receive so here's the question for us are we blue now we're not talking literally but we're talking spiritual concept am i so full of jesus that he is really evident in everything that i say and think and do when people see and encounter me, do they see Jesus or do they see Nathan? And yes, I understand. It's not that they're, I'm going to disappear and they only can see Jesus. But see, I want to get so intimate with Jesus. I want to be so wrapped up in Jesus. I want to be so consumed with Jesus that he is oozing out of every pore on my body. Do you have that? Now, I don't know about you, but I can certainly increase in my intimacy and love and relationship with Jesus. So here's a challenge. Would you go after Jesus this week? Would you get all wrapped up in Jesus? And hey, would you just be consumed with him and realize that if you are a Christian, then the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Would you allow his life? Would you allow his nature? Would you allow the very presence of Jesus to be so consuming in your life that you are literally marked by him, that you're literally governed by him, that, that people see you, and, and yes, they see you, but they see Jesus in and through you. I want that for you. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. Please join me next week as we listen to the second half of this sermon by Dr. Stephen Manley. Now, for show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com 
forward slash 18 for episode number 18. Well, until next time, know that I'm cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.